0: Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons podcast. Today's sermon features founding pastor Ken Worline, and was recorded on Sunday, October 9th, twenty twenty-two. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at nine a.m. or eleven a.m. and come say hi in person. And you could also follow us on Instagram at, at @faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you could join us every Sunday for FaithBridge Online at faithbridge.org/live. Here's Ken. Well, Good morning, everybody. Welcome. So glad that you're here, whether you're in the live service here or in communion venue or whether you're online, however it is that you're here. We're really glad that you're here. So we're continuing on our year-long study through the book of Luke. Why don't you take your Bibles and we'll go today to Luke chapter 16. And if you need a Bible, just wave at one of the ushers; They'll be glad to let you borrow one or keep it if you need. And um, while uh, while you're doing that, let me just add to uh, something uh, that I was hearing a little while ago, just about some future days. we got the Candy Palooza coming up, yes, and we've got some special uh, Sundays coming up. Next week, Clay Scroggins will preach, then the next week, Steve Carter will preach. I'll do the Candypalooza, and then Ben Stewart will be here for Sunday in November. So we've got some exciting Sundays coming up. Hope that you'll be here for every single one of them. Now, while you're turning to Luke chapter 16, let me uh, just ask you, have you not had the experience that I've had where you're sort of just ambling through life, lollygagging along, paying not much interest in time? And then something hurls you into reality. Uh, Maybe, for example, you get a phone call uh, from the hospital. It's a loved one or a friend uh, who's there. And you've got to get your act in the game. Or maybe your boss says, I need to come to my office. We're going to need to have a hard talk today. All of a sudden, you're not just lollygagging along. You're in the or maybe you're sitting on an airplane and it's running late and it's not pulling back, it's not pulling back, and finally the pilot comes on and says, Friends, I am so sorry, but we're having some technical difficulties. We may have to have an equipment change. And before he even finishes, you're already going online trying to figure out, okay, how can I get onto another plane fast? All of a sudden, you're getting in the game. The synapses of your brain are now firing. And you're really getting solution-oriented. I mention this because today we're going to come to a text in which the character who Jesus is going to talk about is going to have to get his mind really engaged. Really active because it hasn't been. And he's going to have to get solution-oriented because he's going to face a reality that he wasn't expecting To face. The story involves two people. One, you have uh, a wealthy owner of an estate. The other, you have his manager, his hired manager or steward of that estate, who's serving sort of as the CEO, COO, maybe the CFO as well. Let's go through it. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he, the rich man, called him, the manager, in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. In other words, he's saying, close out the books so they can be taken over by a successor. Translation? You're fixing to get fired. (laughs) But rather than having him clean out his desk right then and there and escort him off the property, he's giving him a little window of time here at the very end to bring order to the books. It's probably a bad business move and probably way too trusting, but let's not get into the psychoanalysis of it or else we'll miss the point that Jesus is going to be driving at here. This manager, he evaluates the situation and he Gets his head in the game all of a sudden. Verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of the master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied. The manager told him, quick. Take your bill, sit down quickly, and let's make it 450. Now, what's going on here? The manager who's just ready to get fired, he's brought in debtor number one. Said, how many uh, uh, gallons of olive oil do uh, you owe? 900. How many do you have on you right now? He says, I've only got 450. says, well, One bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. I'll take the 450, sit down, let's change your bill. Here, you initial here, I'll initial here. There, back your truck on around, I'll help you load them in. As the guy's getting ready to pull out, he's like, I don't understand why you just did that, but hey, thank you so much. And if I could ever do a favor for you, you give me a call. And the manager says, you got it, buddy. I will. And <clears throat> then um, he brings in a second. You have to understand, first of all, th- how important reciprocity or reciprocation was to the Jewish culture, uh, especially 2,000 years ago. The idea was, if I do you a favor, then you're going to owe me a favor back. Okay, so verse 7. Then he asks the second uh, debtor, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat you got a thousand no i don't got a thousand how many you got 800 i'll take the 800 pull it on around back i'll help you load them in does the same thing writes the bill down you initial here you initial here all right the guy's like wow thanks and <laughs> that was easy um if i could ever help you out you give me a call you got it i will do just that now Here's where the story gets really interesting, because you know that Jesus' listeners were, like you're, already thinking, that guy's gonna really get in trouble, because I don't think it was Rosemary doing that on the 11th hour, maybe he's gonna get cussed out, maybe he's gonna get reamed out and said, don't even bother using me as a reference for your future jobs, but that's not what Jesus says. In fact, quite the opposite, look at verse eight. The master commended The dishonest manager, what? Commended him, why? Because he was dishonest, no. Because he had acted shrewdly, cleverly, resourcefully. Owner says to the manager, (laughs) that was pretty darn clever. I see what you just did. You just indebted those clients to you because you cut them the deal. Uh, No, I know what you've done all along. You've been baking in extra commissions to each of them. And so it's not so much that you're messing with my numbers. You just went in and got honest about the usury that you were exacting upon your fellow Jews. See, and Jewish people, they did not go for sticking in extra profits against other Jews. That's why they hated the tax collectors so much. And so the owner, this is reading between the lines, but if you understand how business worked back there, the owner's going, I see what you did. You were ripping off your fellow uh, Jewish people. But you finally got your head in the game in the 11th hour. You struck all of your commissions. And now you've ingratiated yourself to all of these people. And one of them's probably going to offer you your future job. Pretty darn clever. You're still fired. But it was pretty smart what you just did. You seized the time that you had. And you made the most of it to create future connections for yourself. Now, we're going to keep breaking it down as we go through the text, but I want to make sure that we capture a couple of real important uh, personal applications from this text. So here's the first one, if you're a note taker. The first one is, you and I have to realize that we are stewards of another's stuff. You and I, in this story, we're the manager. God's the owner. This is the application for us. And what Jesus is saying is, look, the owner, God, he has entrusted to you and to me all sorts of things while we're employed here on planet Earth. Jesus hits this theme over and over and over, talking about stewardship and how we're never the owners. All of it belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in it, it belongs ultimately to God. Jesus talks so much about it. In fact, 25% of his teachings have to do with money. Why? Because he knew what his biggest competition was in our hearts. And that's why he keeps telling us, this isn't really yours. It's his. You're just the steward of it. But we push back and we say, oh, well, the earth may be the Lord's. But what's mine is mine. I earned it. I worked hard for it. It's mine. After all, I used my mind. I used my creativity. I used my energy. To which the Lord would say, wait a second now. Who gave you that sharp mind that you have? Who gave you that energy and that health that you have? Who gave you those talents that you have? Just sail back upstream to the headwaters of it all, and you'll realize that every good and perfect gift comes from above. You are actually the sum total of everything that you have done with all that he has given you. And if you took all of those things that he's given you or put into your pathway, you'd be at about zero. Just test it out. And ask yourself not if you were born in this day and age, this current era in free market, United States of America, but if you had been born in God's great plan in the 12th century on a mountaintop in Tibet. If that was your dynamic, if that was your situation, no matter how hard you worked, I'm willing to bet you wouldn't be where you are today. See, everything ultimately goes back To him. So I'm not saying you haven't worked hard for what you've done, nor am I saying I haven't worked hard to accomplish things in life. But what I am saying is we're the sum total of our hard work and our talents and everything. But who gave us all of that? God gave us all of those things. And so as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, why, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, then why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? that's why the transformed follower of Christ doesn't hesitate to acknowledge that everything we have comes from God and really belongs to him. You're not going to take it with you. We came into this world naked and we'll go out of this world naked. So what about the stuff? The stuff keeps on going. That's the interesting thing. You say, oh, this is mine. That's mine. That's mine. And that's mine. Until you're dead. And then the stuff, it doesn't die. It just moves into the hands of another person. And they say, well, now it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And the stuff keeps on going. And they call it theirs until they die. And then you know what happens? The stuff just moves to the next people. And they say, now that's my stuff. See, the stuff keeps on going, which proves the point. No, 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 no. It's not really ours. We're just the steward of it for the here and now while we're here right now. And if we get that mixed, mixed up and we start thinking, "Oh, no, it's really mine. It's really mine. Then we're being as silly as suppose you had uh, a trip that you were going to take and you decided to hire a young man or a young lady to do some house sitting for you to stay in the house take care of it now suppose he or she got so comfortable in your house because you said well make yourself at home and they really made themselves at home and so they started changing out your artwork and changing out your photos in the frames and putting in their own photos on the frames and said you know I never did really like this color of wall and they start painting your walls and change everything up and say you know I probably ought to rekey the locks and just just you know I'll feel a little bit better yeah now if that were to happen what would you have to conclude You'd have to conclude I don't think you understand the difference between stewardship and ownership I hired you to be a steward for a week or two you're not the owner of our house but you and I do the same silly sort of thing while we're here on earth with those things that God has put into our stewardship he's trusted us to be his stewards that's the first thing he's saying But since we don't have any idea when our expiration date will be, when we'll be relieved of our job as steward, Jesus is telling us here in this story, with the limited time and the limited influence that you have, whether you have another day or week or month or year or 10 years or 50 years, I want you to be using that limited time that you have So number two, prioritize long-term investing for when you're not here. And when I say long-term investing, I'm not talking about five years or 10 years or 20 or 30 years long-term investing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about investing even for when this life is over into the future of eternity. I'm not telling you that. Jesus is telling us that. Look at verse nine. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Even as this manager had quickly started working to have some friends out there when he lost his job, Jesus is telling us, you and I, we should be making friends for ourselves in the heavenly dwellings as well. What would this look like? Suppose, suppose, suppose you'd You went to heaven one day, and just as you get into heaven, a fellow comes up and says, hi, I wanted to meet you. My name's Fred. Well, hi, Fred. Good to meet you. He says, well, I've been looking forward to meeting you. Why is that? Well, he says, because when I was a kiddo, I went to a church called Faith Bridge. I went to Faith Bridge, too. I know you went to Faith Bridge. That's why I wanted to come and talk to you. Because see, when I was 13, I was in the youth group at Faithbridge, And they had these weekends uh, where uh, the kids went to different homes. And they had sort of an on-site retreat for a couple of nights. And I actually stayed in your home. Really, Fred? You stayed in my home? Yep. I stayed in your home. In fact, I knocked over a Coke and spilled it on your carpet. So it was you that spilled the Coke. <laughs> yes, Fred says, but you know something? Let's face it, the house is gone, the carpet's gone, the coke is gone, but now you're here and I'm here and the reason I'm here, Fred says, is because that was the weekend I trusted in Christ. The people, they explained about Jesus and right there in your living room, I invited Christ to come into my life. He became my savior and my Lord. And that's why I'm here today. That's why I've been looking for you to get in here. So I could say thanks for what you did. This is the sort of thing that Jesus is trying to illustrate. He's, 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 he's saying, I want you to think ahead and make eternal friends so that when the stuff is gone of this life, you'll have more stuff out there to greet you and to say hello and welcome. And so he says, I want you to be clever. I want you to be strategic about this. Because he says, I'm concerned, in verse 8b, the people of this world, they're more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. He says, why can't Christians, why can't you all get your, your, you you have my Holy Spirit? I'm trying to work through you so that you're not just storing up some things here on earth, but so that you're making long-term decisions that will last throughout Eternity. And honestly, that's one thing that makes me so proud to be pastor here at FaithBirds because many of you understand this. Many of you are already doing this sort of thing. You do open your homes for things like what I was just describing, or when interns come uh, in the summers and you let them have a place to stay, or you host Bible study small groups in your homes, you're using your resources for eternal purposes right there. Others of you, you go down every week to our partner ministry, Bridging for Tomorrow, and you're helping distribute the food uh, to, to those that need more food, or you're helping mentor and tutor the students in our Title I schools that need and you're investing in those people who don't have what you have or still others of you you're giving away resources certainly you're giving away resources here you're 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 being generous and you're tithing and 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 well more than a million dollars of all the monies that come into Faith Bridge are going out to any number of ministries, like Mission of Yahweh that we prayed for today. And As a matter of fact, we support some 40 mission organizations. And that's why in the recent few months we realized, you don't even know those sorts of things. And honestly, I told Sully, I don't even remember all of them. He says, well, why don't we just start to pray for one each week like we pray for a neighboring church? And that will just help us to be lifting them up, but also highlighting here's where some of what is coming in is going out to. That we're supporting, and others of you, you're you're giving not just to the church. You're giving additionally, and supporting other and above and beyond sort of ministries and orphanages and and uh, uh, trafficking ministries to protect young women and maybe boys too that are being trafficked. And and you even gave above and beyond this past summer, spring when we sent Mace and Jennifer off to start the new church in the Heights, and you raised more than 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 a hundred thousand dollars. And that's money that's going to go to be a light in a a spiritually dark place so that other people can come to know Christ. That's an investment that you made. And before they left, Bennett left to go to France. And you raised, I think, you gave more than $30,000 to support her over there as she's being a light over there. This is the sort of thing that Jesus is talking about, using the resources that we have, being generous for... um, Rewards that we can't even see in the here and now, but one day we'll get to see. Ah, so that's what happened at the other end of the line down the pike there. Now I know what happens when whenever you talk about finances and money and the sort of thing. It, I find it happening in my soul. Even when when I was reading and studying this past week or two, I was like, oh. I really been wanting to buy the new grill. <laughs> now I gotta give it away, don't I? You know, and and and, or the new car, or the new clothes, or or you know, the, you know, the, the new boat, or the lake house, or whatever it is that you. you I, I know what goes through your mind, because because I wrestle with the same sort of things, because we are really torn. We really do like this world, and yet we know that we're gonna live in that world. For eternity, so it would make more sense to store up there. So we begin to ask this question. I'll just go ahead and ask what I suspect is going through your mind. So, do I have to give it all away? Can I have no things? That's not what he's saying here. But he is saying if you're keeping all of it and you're sending nothing forward, then there really is a problem. You need to wake up. And get your head in the game, like this shrewd manager did when he realized, I'm running out of time. I better start thinking about the future. Now, I want to press pause here and just take a little caveat, because I I just have a a little concern that some of you uh, might be hearing what I'm saying, and and you're concluding, uh, you're concluding, okay, I think I got it. I need to give some money away and help some poor people and and feed some people. And then if I'll do that, I'll be saved and I'll go to heaven. Right? Wrong. That is not what he's saying. All right? So we've, we've got to make sure that we understand what is it that saves us. That we have to go back to any number of other passages to get to the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the story of God, our great God, who looking down upon us in our sin and depravity chose not to wad us up into a little crinkle and go off and start another galaxy and say, I'll just begin again with some other people. He said, no, I'm going to go into this broken world and I'm going to become one of you. And he took flesh and blood and Became, in very form, a man. He says, I'm going to come into this world and I'll be one of you. And I'll live the life of sinlessness that you couldn't live. And then I'll die the death of punishment that you deserved as your substitute. And then on the third day I'll conquer the grave that you could never conquer. So that if you'll... Connect yourself to me by faith. If you'll tether yourself to me, my life will be infused into you. We're saved not by the things that we do. do. We're saved by what Christ did. I like, though, how Melanchthon, I think it was Melanchthon, maybe it was Luther, put it. And that is, we're saved by faith alone. Parenthetically, and the faith that saves is never alone. Now what was he saying? What he's saying is, no, 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 we're saved by grace through faith alone. Not by our actions. But if we really have been transformed, if our hearts really have been touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then there really will be some evidence that will come out from us, some fruitfulness that others could look or that we could look at even objectively and say, Look at that. I never wanted to do that before. I never wanted to help that person before. I never would. I think God really has done a work inside of me. You see the difference? We have to make sure that we don't get the cart in front of the horse. We're saved by faith alone. But whenever you find yourself wondering, well, do I really love the Lord? Or am I just giving him lip, lip service? As Tim Keller points out, the easiest way is just to look at your giving. Because your giving never lies about where your heart belongs. Stewardship's like a test. It's ever able to help us assess how much of my heart really Belongs to him. Versus how much am I still. Clutching onto and. Clinging onto the things of this world. As if they could save me. Jesus is saying. We. Who are his children of the light. We who are his believers. We of all people should be strategic. And taking the longest perspective. The longest view. And making decisions that will count. Throughout. Eternity. It's a test, he's saying. He says it in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with a lot. And whoever is dishonest with a little will also be dishonest with a lot. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling your uh, your, your worldly wealth, who would trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who would give you property of your own? Nobody can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Incidentally, this isn't a new teaching. Admittedly, Jesus takes a bit of a convoluted way to get to a point that he's made in a lot of other passages Chief among them, Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6 in Matthew, where he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust and thieves break in and steal, but rather send it on ahead. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's no moths, there's no rust, there's no thieves. That's where you ought to be banking it. For where your treasure is there, your heart will also be. Usually, Jesus talks about future generosity and and giving in terms of what it will do for the future in terms of treasures here he uses friendships that's what's a little different in this very unique parable but either way you get the same point he's saying hey I want you to be thinking about the future the treasures that you'll have the friendships that you'll have one day when you're on the other side so why would you stash up more. I'm thinking of the uh the, the uh, illustration that Randy Alcorn wrote about in one of his books. It illustrates pretty well. He says, Suppose that you lived during the Civil War, 1861 to 1865. And suppose you were a Southern, so you had a, a Confederate currency, and suppose you were kind of wealthy, you'd gotten a lot of Confederate currency, but you realize around about 1865, we're gonna lose this thing. The Union's gonna win. And when that happens, this currency is not going to be worth anything. If you're savvy, if you're smart, if you're clever, what are you going to start to do then? You're going to start to exchange that currency for union currency. You're going to start turning in that Confederate, and you're going to start moving it to a currency that will be worth something after 1865 when there's no Confederacy anymore. In fact, you'll just keep enough, Alcorn suggests, of the Confederate money to get you through till the end of the war. He says, and that's how we ought to be thinking about the things that we have here on earth. And that's what Jesus was saying here as well. He says, so keep what you need for here and now, but then you should be really thinking about sending it on ahead for the future, getting it all converted over. You say, well, okay, I think I got it, but how practically do you do that? You can't just call up Fidelity or Vanguard and say, well, just put it in the heavenly fund. It doesn't work that way. Somehow in the mystery of God's economy, that conversion happens as we give it away. God sees when we let go of something that we have and we give it to a vibrant ministry or to a person who had a need and somehow in God's economy that is registered to us and credited to us into our eternal account. And that's what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, I want you to be relationally um, generous with your homes and hospitality, with your time and your talents through serving with your resources through giving. Let me close with this. Sometimes people say okay. I'm open to doing that. But like you got to give me like a starting point. What is a starting point? Well the most. Familiar starting point. Is. What we call the tithe. It comes from Malachi 3.10. Where. Where. God says, I want you to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse of the Lord and see if I don't throw open the gates of, of heaven's blessing, the windows of heaven, and just pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing if you would trust me with the 10%. Now, suppose you are a money manager, and some of you are. So I know we got a good batch of Edward Jones people who work, uh, who are faith bridgers. And so I'll just illustrate in a way that's very relevant I was talking to a, a financial manager a while back about utilizing him. And I said, now, if, if you were to handle our assets, which are not terribly much, but they're what they are, and if you were to manage those, um, how much are you going to keep for your own commission? Because I know you've got to make something out of it. He said, uh, for your size, it'd be, I think, one point." three or 1.7 or something like that, that I'll keep. I said, so okay, so I get 98 point something back. He said, that's, that's how it works." Now suppose I told him, no deal. I'm not gonna hire you because I don't want but 10% back. Whoever manages all my stuff, I want you to keep 90%. Who would like to handle (laughs) our... (laughs) You're like, sign me up for that one, right? What I'm trying to illustrate is this is exactly what God says to us. We tend to think 10%, oh my God. No, no, you're looking at it backwards. What he's saying is, I'm letting you be a steward of all my stuff. And all I'm gonna ask back for is 10%. You can keep the 90. And if you would take the 90, not the 100, but the 90, and you'd trust me with 10% back, I assure you, God says, I could do more with your 90% if I'm involved with it than you're gonna see happen if you keep 100% and I'm not involved with it. And many people, hearing my voice right now, you know this is true. Because you've stepped into tithing before. You're like, oh, I know that. Many of you have taken what we call the Malachi 310 challenge over the years. In fact, I'll just give it to you uh, today. I'm convinced that the biggest reason many people, probably most people, are not generous, don't tithe, don't give, maybe uh, do whatever the American average is, about 1% of giving, uh, of their income they give away. Uh, Nowhere near a tithe. I think the reason is not because they want to be greedy, they want to be stingy, they want to be like Ebenezer Scrooge. It's not that. It's that they're afraid. They're afraid, if I do this, all the the numbers won't work, and everything will, I can't do that. i got to hang on to it and try to hold this whole thing together. And so that's why for years and years, here, I've given, we've given what we call the Malachi 310 challenge. Here it is. I want you to try tithing for the next 90 days. 90 days. If you're paid systematically, you tithe on those pay weeks. If you're a commission worker, you tithe on the commission. When you get a sale. 10%. And at the end of 90 days, you assess yourself whether this verse is true. He says, test me in this. See if I don't throw open the windows of heaven, just bless your socks off. That's the revised Warline version. But that's essentially what he's saying. I'll bless your socks off if you trust me, if you test me in this. We've had hundreds of people over the years who've said, it is true. He did. How? Well, if somebody says, well, I got this promotion or I got this uh, raise. Or, I'm not even going to say it's all financial. Sometimes people say, you know, our marriage, we've always fought over, but the last 90 days have been amazing our marriage has been so peaceful i say that's a blessing you say okay what happens if it doesn't work out so well we'll give you every penny back that you gave in those 90 days you just call us and say this did not work out or if you have to stop in the middle you say i just it's it's falling apart okay you say well how many people have needed their money back. We've done this for more than 20 years. Four. Hundreds of people was like, This was thank you. You suspended a safety net and it became a trampoline for us. And we, we, it's, we're so glad we stepped out in faith and began to tithe. Four people, three became single moms during the experiment. And they're like, "Uh, my husband's left. I've got. We said you do have a problem. We will give it all back to you, and we'll support you with our benevolence fund to help you. And the fourth one was a Hurricane Harvey victim five years ago. They were in the middle of the the 90-day challenge, and then and their house is. is They're like, we'll give you everything back, and I think we gave them ten thousand dollars from our Harvey fund. And that's it. And so I put the challenge to you. Why don't you test the Lord and see if you step out on faith, he wouldn't be faithful to you as well. One last story, and then I'm done. I was reading, uh, as I was studying, an apocryphal story about a man who... uh, he dies and goes to heaven and Peter greets him at the pearly gates of heaven and Peter says well come on I'll take you to uh, your mansion and so they start heading down the, the streets of, of heaven and he's seeing the big beautiful mansions and, and he sees one in particular he's like wow that's a gorgeous mansion of the gardens and who's is that? He says oh that's widow Nancy Smith's she was Such a loving person Cared for so many people Generous, benevolent, prayerful She lives there now He was really excited at that Couldn't wait to see his They go down a street, turn a corner The houses get a bit smaller Turn another corner, they get a little bit smaller Finally they get down to the very end Peter says "All right, here we are This is yours And he's standing in front of a little shack He's like, what? Why what what is this? And Peter says, "It's your home. We did the very best we could with everything that you sent on ahead." Now, I don't want to be that guy. And I don't want you to be that guy either. And so I say, why don't we lean into this story that Jesus told and realize, okay, you you told us that because it mattered. Jesus didn't say things that didn't matter. I've got to take this seriously. And why don't we be people who step out in faith and faithfulness? And I guarantee you, because I've been doing it for years and years and years, he never disappoints. So let's take the journey together. Let's pray. Lord, wouldn't you take our hearts, because it all starts with the heart. Humble us, give us faith, give us trust to lean on you, not on our resources and to let go of the clutch that we have on things and begin to play a longer game and say, okay how could I invest this in the heavenly account and make a difference in some other people's lives that need a difference right now I pray God that you give us faith do a new work inside of each of us. And friends, if you've never trusted in Christ, then that's where you would need to start today. Just say, Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart. I need you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of unrighteousness. Fill me full of your spirit and give me a new direction and a new sense of purpose for my living Pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.